The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The US-North Korea summit, discussing federalism, using government as a weapon, and highlighting Americans been exceptional. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the action but you stay for the principles. I have a jam packed show for you today. I'm really excited to have a, a good and honest conversation with you today. I want to start by talking about North Korea. This is the big story of the week. And I sat back and I was been I've been one of the things I'm doing a lot more is rather than engaging on topics during the week, I'm just sitting back and just watching everyone, all the talking heads talking, and also to see the difference where what the media says and what people online are saying and what they're focusing in on. And I got to be honest, I watched what happened on Tuesday where President Trump met King Jong Un. I watched the summit. And I watched what the response to the summit. So the lead up to it, what the people were saying, what's going to happen, what are they going to talk about, how's this going to go down, is someone going to say something bad, you know, how long are they going to talk for, what's the handshake going to be like, and then I watched all the post analysis of, and I'll be honest, I was amazed at the analysis. I was amazed because I watched both the media, both part of Fox, part of CNN, part of MSNBC. I watched what was happening in the columnists and in different newspapers and different um, websites. I was watching what was on my social media timeline. If I didn't pay any attention to it, this is what I, this is the image I got from my timeline. I know we all love to blame the media, but this is the analysis I got from the media and the people I follow on both Facebook and Twitter. Trump is either a god or he's Satan. This meeting was either the best meeting of all time, or it was a complete disaster. This will be historic, and this should get Trump a Nobel Peace Prize, or this is going to lead to Trump's impeachment and will lead to a war in the Korean Peninsula. Where's the middle ground? So I've got some questions I want to ask you. When did America become this country where you can only have two opinions that are not based on anything on fact, but based purely on the politics and your feelings on the people involved? Because the analysis I saw this week on both sides, I know people love to message me and go, John, it's the left and the media. Yeah, we'll get to them. But it was on both sides. This meeting was unbelievable. And I'm going to break down the meeting, but... Is it possible to say, you know what, this meeting that happened on Tuesday is historic, but it's also okay at the same time to say, I have some major, major concerns about what happened on Tuesday? Is that, is that okay? Is it possible to have any opinion based in fact? 
Can we have an honest conversation about what happened on Tuesday? Or is it always just, if I say something pro-Trump, hey, I'm, I've sold out or I've joined the Trump train and welcome aboard, John. Or if I say, dare say anything and criticize Donald Trump, it's, there you go again with your never-Trump rhetoric. Is it possible to be consistent, not to be a cheerleader, but purely to have an agenda that I have where I call balls and strikes? That's all I do. And I give you my opinion, but I'm not here to cheerlead for a political person. I'm not here to to say Donald Trump is great or Donald Trump sucks. I'm not here to say Barack Obama is great or Barack Obama sucks. I'm here to talk about principles. Is there room for that in America and the world today? So let's break what happened down on Tuesday. And let's start with President Trump. Let's start with him and his administration. Does he deserve credit for making this meeting happen? Absolutely. There is credit for Donald Trump. He has done something that other administrations, for whatever reason, if you are a fan of those administrations, you can use your talking points, insert them here, of why this meeting never happened. But Donald Trump has done something that Barack Obama couldn't do, that George Bush couldn't do, that Bill Clinton couldn't do, and that George Bush Sr. couldn't do. He has done something truly historic. Does he and his administration, and if if you want to highlight people and you want to give people credit, you know, I would say Mike Pompeo deserves a, a fair chunk of credit because a lot of stuff went on behind the scenes to get this meeting happening. However, what is the ultimate aim for people? So I want to ask this question because I, I, I'm getting so frustrated and so I don't know how to have this conversation with people. I've got friends on both sides of the aisle, and both may say the same thing. Oh, the left, I just love pointing out the left and triggering the left. And the left say that about, yeah, I just love triggering conservatives, it's just so easy. You say it about Donald Trump, they go crazy. What is the objective of most people? Now, forget the people who are pundits. Forget the people who are there to sell something or to, you know, to give a talking point and to convince you of a certain narrative. Forget the politicians. The average American, regardless of how they vote, what is their objective? What is the ultimate aim of foreign policy? I believe the ultimate aim of most people who are sane is world peace. Now, we have different agendas of how we get there. We might have different paths. We might be willing to make different sacrifices and different ultimatums and agree to different deals. But most sane people outside of the Beltway, outside of D.C., want world peace. So, if holding a meeting with King Jong-un can get there, it can bring the end to technically one of the longest wars. It's it's not really a war because, you know, you're, there's no active fighting, but it's gone on a long time. You still have that, you know, the armistice with Korea. If it can bring stability and peace to North Korea, South Korea, to if it can give peace to, you know, Seoul not being um, threatened to be bombed, if Japan not threatened to be bombed, if it can bring stability to China... We should all be for this, right? This is not a left-right thing. This should surely be an American thing, a world thing, a human thing. The point that needs to be stressed time and time again with any discussion that's based on domestic policy or foreign policy is we need to understand there's certain things we can never forget and never push to the back burner. Our foundational principles. Never surrender. You know, I remember always the Ronald Reagan line, we will negotiate for peace, we will sacrifice for peace, but we will never, ever surrender for us. 
And also, to be willing to walk away if a deal is not right. If it's not the right deal, walk away. Which brings me to King Jong-un. Everyone wants to celebrate. All my friends on the right, you know, I saw my timeline. This is a great victory for Donald Trump. This is amazing. Let me be crystal clear to, to bring you down. This is where I'll become a never-Trumper if you believe the rhetoric of the day. You know, I just said something positive about Donald Trump and said he deserves credit for this. So I, I sold out and jumped on the Trump train. This is where I jump off and become a never-Trumper again. No matter how bad you want to celebrate Tuesday and what happened this week as a victory, it is not a victory. It is not a victory. Because here's the truth. Was Tuesday good and a positive first step? Yes. But absolutely nothing has changed. King Jong-un is still the same evil, despotic dictator that he was Monday. That he was last weekend. That he is today. And that he will be next week. Nothing has changed since he has taken power of North Korea since 2011. Nothing has changed. Let us not forget, this is, the, this is what the United Nations has to say about North Korea. You know that, you know that, that fast right-wing you know, organization, the United Nations, you know all those, all those right-wingers and warmongers you know, who, who just call, are just desperate for war. This is what they say. North Korea is one of the most repressive authoritarian states in the world. It has gross human rights violations committed by the government, including murder, enslavement, torture, imprisonment, rape, forced abortion, and other sexual violence, end quote. That's what the United Nations says. You know, that's a right-wing conspiracy, right? That's the right-wing United Nations. No, that's the United Nations. If the United Nations are willing to go on the record and say that about North Korea, can you imagine what the truth is actually like on the ground? Because the United Nations are, are always known for... Not not known for calling balls and strikes, more knowing as how can we appease, how can we soften the blow? North Korea is still a bad country. The second reason this is not a victory, and we've discussed this in the past, King Jong-un is a dictator, brutal dictator, and history is filled with dictators either who are lying, just, you know, blind to your face, that's what they do, they're great at it. Dictators are also great at having ulterior motives for meeting you, seeing what they can get from you. Will you give us money? Remember like when Iran met, or didn't meet with, but you know they discussed the whole deal with uh, Obama. And I know it was totally, totally separate, but remember the whole pallet of money that went to Iran? It wasn't for no, the, the host hostages. It was not for hostages. It was just, it was just a, 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 tr- a pallet of freedom. Remember that? Dictators are very good at, hey, I'll meet with you, sure, I'll talk with you. What are you going to give me? You're going to give me some money? You're going to ease up some sanctions? You're going to turn the other way? Dictators don't hate you one day and then all of a sudden, after meeting you, go, you know what, I met that person, I met that country, I hated them all my life, but gosh darn it, I was wrong, I love them now. Dictators generally don't do that, regardless of who the president is. If you love Donald Trump and you're like, I think Donald Trump is the greatest president of modern era, he could be the greatest president of all time, let me give you this warning and I hope you take it very seriously. Don't put all your eggs in the basket of peace with North Korea. It's like gambling. Yeah, you might get lucky and Red 7 might come up. If red, if 7 is red, I don't, I don't know, I'm not a gambler. Or 0 might come up or red or black might come up and you might get lucky and you might go, yes, hit the jackpot. There's also a good chance, you know what, 
you're going to be left with egg on your face and kind of going, what the hell happened? I was sure red was going to come up. I was positive. That's why I put so much money on it. Doesn't work out that way. However, there's a couple of other things that I want to talk to you about about North Korea. So this meeting on Tuesday. These, there's some things I saw that weren't discussed very much. And I'm going to say one thing. And I I will forewarn. I'm not an American. You know, you can have every right to say, John, you don't have a right to this opinion. John, you don't have a right to feel this way. You're not an American. I don't understand why you feel this way. But when I saw the summit and I saw all the flags... When I saw the American flag and the North Korean flag together, I, I'd be honest, I'll be blunt, I felt physically sick. I felt physically sick seeing the North Korean flag on the same level, on the same footing, on the same stage as the American flag. Now, I know some people say, John, you just have this irrational love of the American flag, of, of America. You, you have this idea of America that isn't so. But when I think of the American flag, I think of of incredible events in that your flag has witnessed. I think of the men and women who raised that flag over Iwo Jima. I think of that flag being planted for mankind on the moon. I think of that flag being displayed at 9-11. Where you have this incredible tragedy... Where people are dead, lost, beaten up, buildings in the street. And you still had this thing of, we need to get the American flag. That, that The American people need that hope. They need to see their flag. I think of Betsy Ross stitching each star in that wonderful flag. And because of who I am, I, anytime I think of the American flag, I, I can't help but think of it draped over coffins and over heroes who paid the ultimate sacrifice for freedom, for your freedom and for my freedom. You know, I owe a debt of gratitude to America that will never ever be able to repay it. A debt that helps me and inspires me every day. A debt that will never be paid because I don't speak German. This is the flag that represents man at its finest. It's an idea. America at its core is not a country. It's not people. It is an idea. It is an idea and a constant struggle to be better, to have more opportunities, to pursue your happiness, to live your life to the ultimate, ultimate best that you can be, to do the best you can, regardless of your background, regardless of your class, regardless of your race, your religion, your sexuality. That idea that says you can do anything. I think of the American flag, that idea where you have stood constantly against tyranny. You have been that beacon of hope for the world. Where you have been that Statue of Liberty of saying, yes, you can. Come follow me. You can have this idea too. Because while this idea is the American idea, anyone can achieve it. Seeing the flag that represents all that stand side by side with the exact opposite made me sick. And again, while I have no right to say this and it will never, ever happen, if John was president, that would never have happened. And I don't care what diplomatic incident that might have caused. Moving on to, back on to Donald Trump. Look, 
if you're a long-term listener, I I didn't support Donald Trump in the prison. I supported nobody, right? There are certain things I understand about Donald Trump. I understand why people voted for him. I understand why people voted for him, especially when you consider the opposite was Hillary Clinton. I get it. But there are parts of Donald Trump I don't get. And I don't get why people defend so much of what he says. Maybe it's, I suck at politics. Maybe I don't see the game. Maybe I'm a blind or oblivious to it. I speak very plainly to you. I, I don't come on and use big words and, and, you know, talk up sophisticated things. I'm very plain and very simple. I try and break things down simply for you. And I don't say things that I won't change my mind on in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Yesterday, or not yesterday, a couple of days ago, King Jong-un was called very talented by Donald Trump. In fact, he went even further when he was been interviewed by Brett Baer. King Jong, he was asked, you know, King Jong Un is clearly executing his own people, and Trump responded by going, "Well, he's a tough guy. Hey, you, when you have a take over a country, a tough country, a tough people, and you take it over from your father, if you could do it at twenty-seven year old, I mean, that's one in a ten thousand that could do that." Look, I understand the need. Because I spoke to people on Twitter about this. I understand the need for the president to build a foundation. I, I understand how you know you don't go in all guns blazing. I understand it. But if you have to build a foundation, wouldn't it be better to build it on something more than either false praise? Which I think this is. I think Donald Trump is, I'm not going to say lying, but he's lavishing false praise on King Jong-un to stroke his ego. Or you're just glancing over history. Like, let's just take a totally different scenario. Would we be okay with anyone else? Like, if Barack Obama had said, you know what, Hitler was a tough guy, or Hitler was very talented, would we be, Would the right be sitting around here today going, yeah, well, you know, look, he's just stroking Hitler's ego. If we, someone had said the same about Mao or Pol Pot or Stalin or Che Guevara or Fidel Castro, would we be going, that's okay? We have to be consistent. I think calling him King Jong-un very talented is false praise, and I think it's wrong. It's sending a very bad message. Now, maybe I'm biased because I grew up in an era where one of my first political heroes was Ronald Reagan, where he was like, no, it's an evil empire. The evil empire, the Soviet Union, the people are wonderful. It's the evil empire, though. The government, Gorbachev, his dacha, his Kremlin. But let's get to some other more important points. The media. You know what? I've said this for the longest time about the media. I, I can't get into insults with the media. I'm not going to even call them fake news. I'm not going to go down to you know their level. The media has a history and has a legacy. This is a legacy of been on the wrong side of history. So there's very little else I can say about the mainstream media. I know some people are new to this, where with Donald Trump thinking he created fake news and he's taken it to the media. There's been people calling out the media for a long time. This is not a relative new thing. People who think that the media are just acting this bad because of Donald Trump, not really. They've got it to a new level, sure. But history, don't forget history. This is the same media who during World War II were silent about the concentration camps. This is the media that hailed Neville Chamberlain as some type of real leader and real hero. This is the media that grabbed defeat from the jaws of victory during the Vietnam War. 
I give a special hat tip to Walter Cronkite for that one. This is the media who loves to write puff pieces about Fidel Castro. And lately, who cannot seem to stop writing articles about how great Karl Marx was and how he was one of the great thinkers of the 20th century. I'm sorry, what? Karl Marx was not a great thinker. Karl Marx was not even extraordinary. Even if you think Karl Marx was is spot on and you agree with what he says, he's not extraordinary. He is no different to any other utopian status that has ever existed. He is no different to any king, queen, or monarch, or evil dictator that has ever existed. He just wrapped it up in the people. The ends was the same, a figurehead who decided what was right and what was wrong. He is not unique or exceptional. He is just another long list of thinkers who thinks they know what's best for life and how they decide what is right and what is wrong in society and uses the iron fist of government to make that happen. That is not new or unique. That has been around since the dawn of time. As I watched this coverage of the mainstream media, honestly... If Trump's motto is America first, or this new, apparently, rumored report, you know, breaking news, we have breaking news, apparently, Trump official said, America's policy is, we're America, bitch. Excuse my French, but that was, you know, quote unquote. If that is Donald Trump's motto, if that is Donald Trump's slogan, what is yours? Are you ratings first? Are you, whoever hates Trump or who can say the most outrageous thing about Donald Trump, we will love and we will promote? Is it lies and silence and deceit live here? Or is it you don't care, you just say anything to prove you were right? Facts be damned. All I was missing this week was a puff piece on King Jong-un. About how he was misunderstood, or how he had daddy issues, or how he will never fill up, live up to his daddy's expectations for him. Or how he just wants to be accepted for how he really is, and just don't hate on him. That was all that was missing from CNN, ABC, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Times, and every other liberal talking head that was out there. That was all that was missing. But let's get back to the deal. Because everyone who wants to make this a victory for Donald Trump needs to understand one thing. You cannot say it is a victory because there is no details out there of what was actually discussed and what was signed. You have four very brief, very broad bullet points of what they hope to happen. But there's no substance, there's no deadlines, there's no ways and discussion of how it will be verified or how it will be enforced or what happens if one side breaks the agreement. There is nothing. There is also very few concessions by North Korea. I'm sorry, I know people will say, well, but what, what about that test site? What about that? That broke down because the mountain collapsed. I'm not willing to make that a concession. A mountain he couldn't use anymore is not a concession. That's a, a throw-in at best. But America has made a pretty big concession by stopping the war games. So, can you say this is a victory? No. But it can be a positive first step. But here's the one of the more troubling parts of what happened this week. And all the analysis, this is nothing to do with Donald Trump. Well, it actually is a small bit to do with him. But in the analysis I heard on both sides, 
I was watching the analysis and I'm like, there is one missing word that needs to be discussed, that should be discussed, especially by people who care about the Constitution, that was not discussed, with the exception of Mark Levin. And if I'm missing someone out, I apologize. But I didn't hear this discussed at all, except Mark Levin. The US Senate. The lack of discussion online and by media about the Senate's role in all of this was truly horrifying for a country that claims to be a constitutional republic. For people who went absolutely... Let me focus. Everyone loves to focus on the left. Let me focus on the right for a minute, if I may. For a people who went batshit crazy over Barack Obama, and rightfully so, and Barack Obama's deal with Iran, for you to turn around under Donald Trump and not even mention the Senate is truly horrifying. It is truly horrifying to me. Because everyone wants to make this a victory, a political victory for Donald Trump. What about the Senate? Has the Senate been updated on what was discussed? Has the Senate been updated on what would, you know, how North Korea responded? Has the Senate been, has the Senate actually discussed an idea and a, a way and a path forward to actually make this a treaty and then for it to be ratified by the US Senate? Has that been discussed? Or are we just going to deal with another executive order treaty? That when Obama did it, we all went crazy, rightfully so. We can be cheerleaders all we want. I have no interest in cheerleaders for any politician. I'll be a cheerleader for your constitution. I'll be a cheerleader for your principles. I'll be a cheerleader for your freedoms. But this is the one last thing I'll leave with you. Where were the discussions about freedom for the Korean people? Are we okay? And maybe some of we are, us are. I'm personally not. Are we okay if we get a deal of peace with North Korea? And the Korean people are still enslaved. They're still murdered. They're still enslaved. They're in concentration camps. They're raped. Are we okay with that? Just because we get peace, they can live through tyranny and we don't say anything? What's important to us? What's truly important to us and what are we willing to stand for? This is maybe where we disagree or we part ways or we take on different agendas. I want peace in the North, in the Korean Peninsula. I want an end to the Korean War. But I don't want it at any cost. I want peace. But I also want freedom for the North Korean people. The same way I want freedom for the American people. The same way I want freedom for the Irish people. Freedom is my highest ultimatum. My highest goal. Freedom. Not peace at any cost. Not while I'm at peace and everyone else is at war. I don't care. No, freedom is the ultimate, is the ultimate aim in this life. Because if we truly believe, as your founders did, that these are God-given rights, we have a responsibility and a duty to stand for them. Because they are not American rights, they're not Irish rights, they are God-given, unalienable rights for all man. And as long as man has been denied those rights, we have a duty and responsibility to speak out for them, to stand up for them. And to be that beacon, to say, you can have this too. Don't go anywhere, America. When we come back, I want to talk to you about another constitutional issue and the discussion that happened this week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.
Gray. I wasn't even born yet, so. Uh, really? Yeah. I wouldn't be born for another 25 years or so. Wow, that's fuzzy math right yeah, there. Well, I mean, uh, it's 1967. Add 25 to that. You were born 92? Wait a minute. Ron is telling me I, I look old for my young age? That, uh, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but it's kind of rude. I'm glad he broke that ice because I agree. <laughs> Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on social media at Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 Drop me a message, drop me a friend request, tell me where I'm wrong, tell me where you agree, or if there's issues you want me to discuss, drop me a message, drop me a line. So I had a very interesting conversation this week and on social media. It started publicly for all to see, and then it went private. And I wanted just to bring, in, bring it up on the show, because I think it's something we need to discuss. The Constitution... Constitution of the United States, role of government, the Tenth Amendment, federalism. Question for you, because I'd love to know your answer to this. Is it a case that people no longer believe in the Constitution? And they're just like, look, I like the Constitution, but it's not perfect. And if there's things I don't agree with, I'm just going to go around it and not try and change it. Or is it a case of, which I actually think it is, of ignorance, of people actually don't understand what's in the Constitution anymore. The reason I ask this is because I had a very interesting and very frightening conversation this week. I think it started off, I believe, with a tweet from Candace Owens saying about Chicago and building a wall around Chicago. And someone responded, I responded to her, and someone responded to me, and it started this conversation of, well, you should just send in the National Guard. Trump is right. Trump should send in the National Guard. And I just responded something simple like, does Chicago and Illinois have any say in this at all? And people who call themselves conservatives and constitutionalists replied, no, they don't. No, they don't have a say at all. I get the left. I get the left and their destruction of the Constitution. But... What happens when the right wants to destroy the Constitution? What happens when the right, quote-unquote, and the conservatives and the constitutionalists are openly destroying what the founders wanted? So let's have a discussion about this. There is horrific things happening in Chicago. We've covered them on this show in the past. Murder rates are incredible. Taxation is going through the wazoo. It's getting harder and harder for for people to live. They're also, if you're looking at different outlets, we haven't discussed them, but if you're following the news, there was a story on The Blaze this week of how uh, there was cops just breaking in into houses uh, by mistake, wrong warrants and stuff. There was another story about how Chicago are impounding property. There was a really tragic story and truly horrific of how Chicago is... There was a, I'm going to get this wrong because I'm going off memory, but the story was there was a, a guy who replaced, who repaired cars and he offered this service where you would bring your car to him, he would repair it for you, but when you dropped it off, he would drive you to your place of work so that, you know, you're not put out. 
and he was driving someone to work and they got stopped by a police and it was found he was carrying drugs and they impounded his car and they charged him an absorbent amount of money because they they had to recharge a release fee but also they charged you for storing your car until you got it back and it was like incredible amount of money like way more than parking would have cost it was a large sum of money there are major bad things happening in chicago i'm not going to live in chicago i have some friends who are traveling in chicago and i'm always like just please be careful please be safe don't don't do anything silly but does chicago as a city have a right to say you know what we run our city the way we want to as much as it may pain me to say this i think the founders would look at chicago and go uh, that's one way to go it's not the way we fought for and it's not why we fought a revolution but have at it but do they have a right to run their city the way you want or if you don't like it if you as i do think it's run badly what's the role of the federal government do we believe in federalism when it sucks do we believe that a government in like in chicago's case the way you change chicago is you change its representatives and you hopefully then change and highlight it and win the argument and change the laws that you don't like. Where you have less taxation, where, you know, you let people have a right to defend themselves, where, you know, you let people keep the fruits of their labor, where you, you know, open up to freedom. Or should we just go by federal mandate and go, you know what, just send in the National Guard? Because here's the thing, everyone, th- when I spoke to people about this and it was Chicago... It was like just automatically you just forget federalism. Not only do you forget federalism, but you forget the next step of the command. Because Chicago is a city. It's got its local government. If it needs the National Guard, the next step for Chicago is not to Donald Trump. It's to the state. You have local, uh, state, and federal. So many people seem to have forgotten about the state government's role. Do we believe in federalism anymore, even when it sucks? Do we just violate the Constitution willy-nilly? Do we just go, you know what, look, the ends justify the means. I I know we're right. You say I'm right, you know, because you think Chicago is a problem. Then just, you know, how we do it doesn't matter. It just needs to be done. Let's just get it done. Is that the way we want to operate? Is that the way that we want to operate and and propose going forward? Because let me be blunt. If that's the way you want to operate... The only thing that separates you from the left and from liberals who want to destroy the Constitution is just your objectives, your motives. You're willing to get it done no matter what it takes. I believe in the Constitution. I believe in the Constitution because of limited government. I believe in the Constitution because I've been around the world and I've seen how other governments work. I live in a country and a country that is part of a European zone where all the power is at the top. That the locals have no power. Where if what you say, you just say Donald Trump or ever who the president is. Let's not make this about Donald Trump because it's a principle we're discussing, not people. Where a president should say, Chicago's a problem. Murder rates are through the roof. Send in the National Guard. I live in that world. I live in that world where that would happen through parliaments. Through Ireland, through its Irish parliament, through the prime minister. There is no role for the local government, for the state government. There's nothing, state doesn't, government doesn't exist in Ireland. We just have local governments and they have no power. Power is invested at the top. And what they don't want, they give to the local authorities. 
That is the way Ireland works. That's the way England works. That's the way Europe works. That's the way Australia works. You pick a country, power originates at the top. It's top down. It's top heavy. And it isn't even at the top. Like, you can't even say, well, this is a matter for the parliament. It's always in the top of a few people. It's whatever minister is over that department. And if the Taoiseach or the Prime Minister or the President agrees, you do it. So it's in the hands of the few. And when you have power in the hands of the few, you have corruption. You have agendas. You have a thing that, even if you think, let's just say for argument's sake, you think it should be in the hands of the few. You have it in the hands of man who, number one, their priority is re-election. So if it's right out, if you have chaos and you really actually need a National Guard, if you have the power in the hands of the few, if it's right after an election and they're secure in their place, they'll do it. But let's say the trouble kicks off and it's six months before an election and there's a chance you might rock the boat. Guess what? Nothing gets done and people are left to fend for themselves because the the power is in the hands of the few. And they're not willing to do it. Or if they don't care about your issue. If they don't care about your struggle. When the power is in the hands of the few. Tough. You just got to suck it up baby. That is the world I live in. That is the world. The history of the world. Going back any amount of time. America was different because your founding fathers. No matter how many times you hear your founding fathers were stupid dumb slave owners. Who had wooden teeth. That is complete bogus. They were more well-read than the vast majority of intellectuals today. They looked around at the world. They saw what everyone else did. And they said, no. We will take what they have and we will approve upon it. That idea of federalism where the power, your presidency has a certain amount of power. You have Article 1, Section 8 where Congress has a certain amount of power. And you have 18 clauses of power. And everything else is left to the states. The the idea of government that works best, that they are far limited government, but when you must have government, it works best when it is closest to you. This is what your founders envisaged, and it is why I part of why I love your country so much. So I ask this question again. Are we in a time where we don't care about the Constitution, where we will look at the Constitution and go, look, I love the founders and I love the Constitution, and where it's suitable and where the Constitution gives me an answer I like, I'll promote the Constitution. But if it dare says something I don't like that I'm not prepared to accept the answer for, then I'm just going to abandon the Constitution. I'm going to go, well, that's just not an adequate document because we must do something. How many times do we have to listen to the argument of someone saying, we must do something? And if that something violates the Constitution, well, then we still got to do it. I'd love to hear your opinions on this. I really would. I'm not, even if you totally disagree, I mean, if you're like, look, you know, we, the Constitution is great, but it's got limits, I, I'll, I'll be prepared to listen to you. But we have to start having a conversation because for me, and this is my line in the sand and it's always been this way, you have principles. If there's something in the Constitution you don't like, then amend it. But this idea of federalism is something that changed the world. It's one of the reasons America is unique and different and exceptional to the rest of the world. You have limits on your federal power. We don't. 
We have government as our God. There is no limit to our government. Our government can do anything. Our government can decide tomorrow it's legalizing pot. Our government tomorrow can legalize abortion. Our government tomorrow... There is no limits. There is nothing you can say to a politician go, Hey, is there anything you can't do? No. If there's the will of the... If there's the will of the people with a referendum or there's the will of the government to do it, there is nothing we can, can't do. You say that in Ireland, that's the same. You say that in England, that's the same. You say that in Europe. That is the answer you'll get. There is nothing they can't do. There is no part of your life they can't affect. There is no limit. They can do anything they want once they have the manpower. That is democracy. Once they have the votes, nothing is off limits, baby. America said otherwise. It was very crystal clear. There is a limit. There is very much a limited because government's job is not to give you rights. It is to protect the rights that your creator gave you. It is to preserve those rights that you were born with. And when it comes to federal government, that is the role of the federal government. When it comes to the local and state government, that is the role. Each state is different because it has its own constitution. Is this idea foreign today? Is this idea even popular today? This is something I need to find a way. I don't know how. But your system of government is so great and so incredible. We need to share it with people. But we also need to understand that, you know what? Freedom and federalism and constitutionalism and principles is not some come by our moment. There are bad things that are going to happen. And you have to be understand that how you change those bad things is not by violating those principles. It's by you getting involved more to stop it. But there is no come by our moment. I can't promise you a utopia where if you just follow the constitution and federalism and principles, everything's going to work out right 100% of the time. Anyone who says anything to you that says, I have this solution and everything's going to be perfect. Everyone's going to be happy 100% of the time. They are lying to you. Utopia does not exist. But what we can do is get the best system man has ever known. And if you don't like some of it, improve upon it. There are processes there to improve us. But violating it or ignoring it or being ignorant to it or just, you know what, I don't care. The ends justify the means. If that's the path you choose, I'm sorry, I I choose a different path. I choose the path of righteousness. I choose the path of principles. I choose the path that is consistent, where I will stand with the Constitution. I've stood with it for a very long time. And in 20 years from now, I can pretty much guarantee you I'll still be talking about the Constitution, whether you even have one or not. I'll be holding these words up because they are self-evidently true. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, this show is released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern on all major platforms, including SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, 
Music, Omni FM, and Stitcher. Please consider sharing with your family and your friends. We're growing, and I really appreciate your support every week. And I, I hope to. I, I really don't take for granted the trust that you guys give me and, and the platform and the opportunity to share how wonderful your nation is with you. And I don't take it for granted. And I thank you for all the shares and for, you know, introducing me to some of your family and friends. And we're continuing to grow. And I, I can't give you promises for anyone else. I can only speak for myself. But as long as I have a voice, I will be speaking out for the principles that made America exceptional, regardless of who is in the White House, regardless of who's in Congress, because your ideas change the world. And I think Americans can learn from them. I think Irish people can learn from them. I think Europeans can learn from them. Anyone can learn from them. And this idea of freedom is not just something that happens in an election for me. It happens 24-7. It is a way of life. You know, people have said to me in the past, you know, who don't like me or who, you know, are more moderate, quote-unquote, you know, to use that famous phrase, that I'm very fearful of government. I'm very, you're very afraid, you know. You, everything you say, you know, it sounds really, it sounds scary, but, you know, it would never happen. It would never happen in America. It would never happen. It doesn't happen anywhere. Like, it might happen in, like, a dictatorship or, you know, a third world country, but it would never happen in a, in a civilized democracy. I want to share a story with you from the United Kingdom. And if you think this couldn't happen in America, think again. One of the reasons I don't like government, there are many reasons, but... I've seen people use government for destructive ends. I've seen how destructive government can be, especially when you put power in, in the hands of the limited few. With it, if they're for you, brilliant. Life is easy. But if you dare rock the boat or say anything bad, or you can be destroyed like that. And it doesn't take much. I want to read a story. I want to share a story with you of something that happened this week. Now, justice, this does have a happy ending. But I want you to just to close your eyes and just have a little story. Imagine you live in in a place called Swansea in the United Kingdom, which is actually part of Wales. Wales are very independent from the United Kingdom. They're, Wales and England do not like each other. It's kind of like England Ireland. But you're a family and live in Swansea. And Swansea's a nice enough place. I've been there. I used to have a work for a company in Swansea. And you have a kid. And social services are called on you. The social services are called because there's been complaints of neglect. And social services come and give your family a review. And they rule that, you know what? It's best for your child, your son, to be taken from you and live with foster parents. Can you imagine the pain that must cause? Imagine then going through a system where, you know, you go to the uh, the family courts going, I've had this situation, social services were called to me, and my son has been taken away from me because he's got to go live with foster parents. And you present your case to family court. And your family court is against the local government. In this case, the, the Camardenshire County Council. And they uphold the ruling that, yes, it's best for your child to live with foster parents. So now you have the social services saying it's best for your son to live away from you. 
You've gone to family court, and they have held up that ruling as well. Now, I'm sure you're probably going, John, you're, you're biased. You're, you're only telling one half of the story. This person obviously deserved it. They were, they were obviously a bad parent. They were a bad mother. You know, they obviously did something that was really frowned upon in society today. What, did, what was her crime? What was her crime? What was, what was her thing? Well, if you read just the headline of, of the case, it sounds a bit bad. It's like, well, the mother was failing to meet her son's emotional needs. Oh, okay, so emotionally abusing them, you know, bullying them, insulting them, you know, demeaning them, you know, mentally harassing them, making them feel bad about themselves. So maybe they're right. Maybe, you know, maybe that mother shouldn't have her kids. Maybe she should go to foster care, you know. Government knows best, right? Read a bit deeper. I quote, The mother was failing to meet her son's emotional needs because she had not taken him for ice cream or got his hair cut in the style he wanted it. Let me read that for you again. Failing to meet her son's emotional needs because she had not taken him for ice cream or got his hair cut in the style he wanted it. That is what they can now take your kid for in the United Kingdom, in Wales. Now, luckily, she then appealed. She went to the High Court. But again, against the objections of the Carmarthenshire County Council. Mr. Justice Moyston Fair play to you, sir. I don't know anything about you, but you made a right ruling in this case. But I want to get to one troubling part in just a second. He described the social worker's claims as utterly insubstantial and obviously inconsequential as reasons for the child to be separated from his mother in court. There's a 44-page witness statement from the county council and the social worker which he described as very long on rhetoric but very short on examples of deficient parenting. This is what happens when you have government overreach. This is what happens, because people will say, should their government be involved in bad parenting? Like, we can all agree on bad parents shouldn't have their kids. Like, if you're beating the ever-living crap out of your kid, you're abusing your kid, God forbid, and what happens in this crazy world, you know, you rape your kid, you're, you know, you're neglectful of your kids. You're not feeding your kid. We can all agree there's a process for government that should get involved and should be very strict. It should be very limited. That, you know, generally kids are best with their parents. But if there's wrong, then absolutely the state should get involved. The justice system could get, should get involved. Justice should be blind to say, no, you don't belong. You don't belong or should not have your kids because you're mistreating them. You're abusing them. Absolutely. But when you have an all-powerful government, where you have unelected bureaucrats, where you have unelected judges with no responsibility, where you have politicians who only care about their own power and you don't have any limited power and you have no reproach, power corrupts. And that is what you're seeing in the UK in this story. The really sickening side of this story is justice hasn't been fully done. Because while this High Court judge, Justice uh, Moyston, has given the kid back to his mother and has been very clear about, you know, the, the rhetoric involved, here's the problem. The ruling said the boy can return home with his care supervised by social services. How can you fight that? You people say to me, John, 
I, I get, and maybe you think America is something it wasn't. I get told all the time, America, John, the idea of America that you talk about never really existed. Okay, let's say for one second that is true. Let's say history says, you know what, it maybe existed for a day, John, in 1791. Or seven, it maybe it would maybe that was the America that existed when when George Washington put his hand on the Bible and started his first term as president. Maybe then, but you know, by eighteen hundred it was gone. By Marbury versus Madison it was gone, or the progressives have destroyed it, or whatever. Let's just say, for argument's sake, just to use the most extreme example of what I get told, America that you talk about never existed. Okay. We can have a discussion about history, but that still doesn't answer the question that I talk about. The question is not, did it ever exist? Because we can have different opinions on that. The question is, should it exist? Should the America that I speak about, should it exist? Should we be working today, regardless of who holds power, to get that idea of America even closer to pass it on to our kids and our grandkids? Should we be working as hard and as diligently as possible to make the America I speak about a reality? So that 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from now, we'll be able to say, okay, we can still discuss history about whether you think America existed when when I'm speaking about your founding fathers and George Washington. We can have that debate for the, till the dawn of time. If you want to have that debate, I'm open to that debate. But that's not the question. The question is, can we work to get at it again or for the first time? Where we can truly have limited government, where man is just left to his own devices and we don't steal his stuff or her stuff or their stuff. Can we get to that idea and make that idea a reality if it has never been one before? Now you're probably thinking, well, what has what you just said got to do with this case? What you have is a system in the United Kingdom where the system has become so corrupt, so wrong. It started, obviously, with moral intentions. Again, I said, is there anyone who says if a kid's been abused that it should be taken from his parents? I don't know anyone. And especially, I don't know anyone in Ireland who would say yes. And I have a lot of socialist friends and family members and progressives and trade union members. So don't get me started. I have... I. Those who say I don't understand the left's point of view, I trust me, I grew up with it, I understand it very well. There is no one who says that kid should be left, you know, a kid that's abused should be left with his parents. But is there anyone who is not political who would say, taking a kid from his mother because it, her mother did not meet the kid's emotional needs because it would not get him an ice cream and would not let us get his hair cut in a certain style? I gotta be honest with you, I'm not that old, I'm in my 30s. I could have done it. My mother saying no to me on ice cream a few, a bit more. If you've seen me, you know this is true. I I love food, but my hairstyle. I didn't have a choice. It was cut the way it was, and it was the general cut. It was only when I became fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen that I was allowed to, you know, have my own hairstyle. And I grew a ponytail, which is a whole different story. Yeah, for those who see me now as bald, there was a time I had a ponytail. That's a, that's a whole different kettle of fish, though. But that's not emotional abuse, saying no for an ice cream. But government is involved. The social worker is involved. And the social worker has no one holding them accountable. 
And now this woman who has done nothing wrong has to have supervised care by social services. Imagine having social supervised care by social services in your house all the time. How could you look at them with a straight face and go, get the hell out of my house? Because that's what I want to do. Get the hell out. But now this woman has to walk on, on eggshells. Oh, I better not say no to my son. They might take him again from me. This is the United Kingdom. This is not some third world. This could happen in America. So am I fearful of government? You could make that case, sure. I just don't want to give people power. I don't want people to have power over you. And what I especially don't like, and I see it in America because I've seen it and I've lived through it over here in Ireland and Europe, is the government should never, ever be a weapon against people who'd have a disagreement. Even if they're socialists, communists even, even if they have a different opinion that I find totally repugnant, government should not be able to use it as a weapon. Because if we make government a weapon, our government becomes a weapon, this is what happens. You can ruin people's lives. And you might not be able to ruin their reputation in this world. You will be able to, especially with AI. But you can make their life a living hell. Can you imagine the the trauma this mother must have went through? Can you imagine what this kid is going to go through, knowing at a young age he was ripped from his mother, was put into foster care? Is there anyone who would think this is a good idea? This is why we need to limit government as much as possible. Does government have a role in our lives? Sure. We can discuss and debate what role it has, but it must be limited and it must have checks and balances. And any role government has in our lives, there has to be oversight. There has to be some other string holding one, the other string accountable, saying, no, 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 that can't be done, that's abusive. And if you don't, I'll stop you. And vice versa. Checks and balances. Not power in the hands of the few. When we come back, I want to finish the show on some really good news. I you know, I get I don't get to end my show with good news very often. I have some really exciting news to share with you and some exciting praise to give the American people. And if you know me at all, you know I love praising you. So don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. Now we can throw the baby out with the bathwater, or we can step back from the brink and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. We haven't exercised the Bill of Rights and actually held to it as a nation, as people. All it's going to require is 20% of this nation understanding the Bill of Rights. Really understanding them, and instead of fighting for me, I will fight for the rights of those I disagree. The Glenn Beck Program. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. So I'm delighted to finish the show on this news because I love good news. I love sharing good news with you because, you know, we live in times where things are crazy or we have all these phony outrages. You know, this week, honestly, I'm actually getting to the point of just total laughing of the outrages. 
So like I some of the outrages this week where De Niro said F Trump and it's no longer down with Trump, it's F Really? Why do just go act in a movie? The other one we had was apparently the Twitter CEO. Imagine being the Twitter of the CEO of Twitter, and like having the audacity of saying you etting Chick Fil A and then having to apologize. For the record, this show—I can't say this show because I'm a one-man band—but to me, I love Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A, please open in Ireland, please. I'll even run it for you. There's an idea. I'll run Chick Fil A for you. I'll, oh. Uh, yeah, I maybe just actually thinking about this live on air. Maybe me running Chick Fil A wouldn't be a good idea because I, I would eat all the stuff. I'd be like, you know, I'd be like, oh, you want to you want a chicken burger? Cool, chicken burger for you, chicken burger for me. You want chicken fillets? Okay, chicken fillets for you, chicken fillets for me. You want a milkshake? Milkshake for you, milkshake for me. Unless we ran it like a two hundred percent margin, I'd eat all the profits. I'd be like, yeah, I love me some chicken. So Chick Fil A, I proudly eaten Chick Fil A and. I don't like I love that they close Sundays but it would be nice if they open Sundays as well just from a pure selfish point of view but Chick-fil-A is awesome we had the big controversy over here with the royal family of you know they were at this polo game and they were all just playing on the ground and the kids were there and and the prince the young prince he played with it with a with a with a with a fake gun which is highly inappropriate considering what Britain's going through right now I expect the royal family to know better Really? It's a toy gun. I played with a toy gun. I worked out fine. Maybe that's not an argument I should make either. <laughs> but they're the, the, the crazy things we had. Um, we had a, a Stormy Daniels update, which I don't care to share. Just uh, whatever. But this world is crazy. There's so much baloney in it. This is a real story, and it's awesome to be able to share this with you. So there's a, an organization called Just, or not Just Giving, Giving USA. And they analyze and they release how much, you know, Americans give. 2018 was a record year for Americans giving charity. Americans in 2017 gave $410 billion to charity. They crossed the $400 billion for the first time. You guys are amazing. You know, I finish up this show the same way each and every week. The last thing I want you to hear, if you don't care about the issues I discuss or, you know, I bored you or you disagree with me, the last thing I want you to hear is I want you to remember there are heroes in society who need to be saluted, but also America's great because of each and every one of you. It's not by governments. It's not by presidents. It's not by executive orders. America is fundamentally great because Americans are good. You are decent. You are honest. You are humble. And you have given more than you have ever given before. And like, you just didn't didn't cross the 400 billion mark. Like, it's not like, hey, you crossed the 400 billion mark for the first time and you got like 400 billion point and a half a billion. You like went... We're just going to smash through that. $410 billion to charity in 2017. What makes this unbelievable is when you actually read the actual highlights and the, the bullet points of the, the, the report, which I'll save you reading the report. I'll just give you the bullet points. So giving by individuals represented 70% of the giving. So this isn't a case of, well, the rich gave the most and like, you know, the way the tax base is where, you know, like. 10% of the people pay 75% of the tax because they did well. No, no. Individuals gave 70% of that $410 billion, which is over $280 billion in maths. 
That's incredible. There are four sources of giving. Three of them grew by 5% or more. Giving by foundations saw strong growth and has continued to see strong growth over the last seven years. Um, it grew by 7.6%. Corporate giving was boosted by 405 million. So it's incredible. Um, the figures, if you care about maths and you care about the figures, giving by individuals was 286.65 billion, raising 5.2%. Giving by foundations was 66.9 billion, raised by 6%. Giving by bequest, which is wills and debts, uh, increased 2.3% to 35.7 billion. And giving by corporations grew by 8%, totaling 20 billion, 20.77 billion dollars. So who got all this money? It was evenly distributed. Or not evenly distributed. The increases were pretty evened out. So religion went up by 2.59%. Education went up by 6.2%. Human services went up by 5.1%. Uh, to foundations, incre- had a major increase. It was 15.5%. Health organizations, 7.3%. Uh, public social benefit organizations, 7.8%. Arts, culture, and humanities increased by 8.7%. And environment and animal organizations, 7.2%. One of the only areas of decrease was international affairs, which declined by 4.4%. You know, anyone who wants to tell you your people are not good needs to hear this report. This is amazing. People ask me, when do you love America the most? I love America for so many reasons. I love America for your founding documents, for explaining something called nature's law to me. I love it for your idea. I love the history, even the bad history. I love I love studying it and I, I find it compelling and I find lessons to be learned from your bad parts of history. You can go, look, don't do that. There's a reason why bad things happen. I love it when I get to be able to say, this is who you are, America. This is your legacy. This is who you are. America is great because Americans are good. People who say to me, John, I'm only a single person. I can't change the world. That's baloney. And I'm not saying that to be insulting. I'm saying that to be factually accurate. I don't say it to insult you. But you can change the world. You can change the world by something simple. By going to a complete stranger and asking them how they are and listening. You can change the world by, you know, reaching out to a neighbor you don't like and trying to heal those wounds. You can change the world by sharing money. You can change the world by getting involved in causes. You can change the world by by sharing a positive, positive message on social media. You can change the world by writing, by doing podcasting. You have no limit in this world. Technology is unbelievable. You can change the world. The impact your people made by crossing the 400 billion mark in charity is unbelievable. That is huge. And if you donated, you played a small or a big part or a different part, size part, you changed the world. You can change the world. This is who you are in America. Congratulations. 410 billion, crossing the 400 billion mark for the first time is incredible. And I hope that this year you even cross past it even again. This is the country, the idea that I love. This is amazing. And there are reasons for it. Obviously, you know, 
economic conditions improving, unemployment going down, stock markets going up. There are many reasons for it. But that you got that extra money and that you increased your charity giving just shows to me, it proves to me what I say all the time is right. America is great because Americans are good. You change the world. Your ideas change the world. You're changing the world continuously. There's a reason I do what I do for free. I could do with an extra job. I'm not rich. I live off a small amount of money every month. But there's a reason I continue to get behind this microphone each and every week. Because I have a debt to pay to the American people. Even despite not being able to be over there and and your country making it very hard for me to be there, I still have a debt. I don't speak German today. And that, we can discuss how much of an American, you know, that is because of Americans. There are other people I need to thank, like the British and even the French. But there's a reason that war would have been lost if America hadn't gotten involved. The fact you did, you helped stop Hitler. I have a debt to you and your people that will never be repaid. That is why I do what I do to try and repay my debt, to try and pay it forward. Because America is great when people of ordinary people do extraordinary things. That is what you did in 2017. And hopefully, God willing, come this time next year, I'll be able to say in 2018, you know what? You hit the 400 billion for the second time. And you blitzed last last year's record. Because America is great when Americans are good. We finish up this week's show the same way we finish it up every week. By saluting the real heroes in society. I don't mean the New York Yankees. I don't mean Aaron Judge. I don't mean Louis Severino. don't mean Eli Manning. None of those are heroes. They're great baseball players, don't get me wrong. But they're not heroes. Heroes don't wear a jersey. Heroes don't have a football number. Heroes risk it all 24-7 for our freedom. We salute your firefighters, your police officers, your emergency personnel, your vets. And most importantly, I salute you, the great American people. America is great because Americans are good. $410 billion? I tip my hat to you. If I wore a hat, I'd tip it to you. Kudos. Give yourself a pat on the back. And hopefully next year I'll be able to talk to you about your next year, 2018, where you even surpassed that. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. 